0: This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. What's up, guys?
1: It is so good to see you guys. Holy cow, it's been too long. I know, I know right? we're back. It I feels mean,
0: really good. It does feel good.
1: Uh, how was your summer? JT, how was your summer? Uh, it was fun. You know, we had several <laughs> sweet vacations with friends and family, and but like, I can't believe it's over. Like, I, there's so much more that I wish we had done this summer that we didn't get to do. But it was good. I mean, you know a lot of good time with family, good time with friends, took a couple vacations, but I'm not going to let you ask me how my summer is. I've got a couple weeks left. I can, let me say this. I'll let you know. I'll let you know how it finishes up. Okay. Well,
0: hags, have a great rest. have a great rest of summer. You know what I'm saying? Got it. No. So anybody, did you ever have somebody write, whoa, you don't know about this, Jen?
2: No. Is that like a yearbook you know about thing?
0: This? Yes. When people would write hags in your yearbook, Oh, have nobody. a great summer.
1: Mine was always like, see you this summer. And it's like, no, we're not. Like, we've never hung out before. <laughs> I'm not going to see you this summer. You're like, no, Jimmy,
0: we're not hanging out. Okay. Uh, I can just imagine JT riding around the block on his bike as a kid and being like, you got to pick up the pace, Tim. You got to keep up, man. Just doing burpees in your driveway as a 10-year-old. Is that what it was like?
1: <laughs> hey, did you guys ever put like baseball cards or cardboard in the spokes of your bike to create a motor sound? That was 100%. one of my favorite things as a kid.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, well, that's how I, it's, I it's, might finish out my summer. I might do that and just like finish out the next two weeks of summer with a, with a, with a you know, like a motorbike or something like that. Just with an with,
0: actual motorbike. No, you're, you're, no. Like I'm saying, maybe okay. I
1: just get a bike and put some cardboard in it and relive yeah. some childhood memories.
0: Yeah, that's the pastor you want to be in Arvada. That <laughs> right, guy, right? That You'd would be like would you guys, translate. You guys know that weirdo pastor who rides around on a bike with baseball cards on in the back? a kid just bike. A, A man of the people. Just riding that mongoose. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, uh, hey, everyone. We're so glad that you're listening. Thank you for jumping back into another season of Knowing Faith. This is actually our seventh season of Knowing Faith. Isn't that weird? That's a lot of seasons. It's a lot of seasons. It's a lot of seasons. And if you're listening to this for, if this is your first episode, welcome. Somebody shared this with you. And here's what I'll tell you. You don't have... Like knowing faith isn't like you have to go back and listen. You might be scrolling through the podcast feed and get that sense of somebody just recommended a show to you and it's done and there's 10 episodes of it. You're like, wait a second. I'm not going to go back and watch all of these episodes. Well, let me give you some good news. Uh, You don't have to go back and listen to everything that we've done in order to be able to listen to what we'll be doing this season. Maybe that relieves you a little bit. You think about seven seasons and we're going to be studying Romans. And it won't just be this fall. It'll be this season, season seven here in the fall. And then in the spring, we'll have season eight and we'll do Romans as well. So we'll do about half a Romans in the fall and half a Romans in the spring. But let's just start with this big question. Jen and JT, why did we pick Romans? Well, why first we of all, this?
2: Kyle, thanks for asking about my summer. It was great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You've been at like 78 weddings this, <laughs> this summer, Jen. <laughs>
2: oh my gosh. I, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Forgive me. Uh, first, uh, first episode jitters. I uh-huh. skipped right past that. Uh-huh. Jen, let mm-hmm. me ask you. Jen, I have a question for you. It, it's a novel question.
2: Uh-huh. How, how was your summer, Jen? You know, Kyle, my summer was good. I had a child get married. And I have another child who is expecting our first grandchild. So I've had a wow. prolific summer. Exciting! Uh, but I think the high point of my summer has been that the third musketeer in the Three Musketeers, which would be you, Kyle, mm-hmm. finally got an iPhone.
0: Yes. Uh, yes.
2: <laughs> it has changed our text Snow. conversations yeah. so much
0: better. I so, didn't know. I didn't know where you were going with that. But yeah. Yes. L-
2: let me be the first to welcome you to 2006, <laughs> and um, and also to say how glad I am. Like it's well, made communication so much nicer. You know, it. I gotta say, it really has. Uh,
0: it really has. I did not know what I was missing out on. I would see just these little text messages pop up that would say. You know, I would text something and I would say, Jen has liked this Mm -hmm. or Jen has disliked this or JT has hard, JT loves this. Uh That's how it came across on my non-Apple phone. Uh, And uh, so anyways, it was definitely a, uh, it's been an upgrade for sure. I
2: can see you're still learning. Like you'll still go. Ha ha ha, in response to something <laughs> that JT and I said that's really funny. I'm like, dude, just hit the ha ha button. You'll be, you'll be, <laughs> yeah, but be good. why did yes. you tell
1: him, Jen? This is like, oh, so Thomas, <laughs> Thomas, he, this morning we were working on this new, new, like, thing that he gets. It's like a way to do like little kind of construction things. And he calls the instructions constructions. And I beg Macy to not change the way he says it. And that's the same way I feel about when Kyle does ha ha ha. It's like, don't tell (laughs) the little boy that he has it wrong. It's so cute.
2: I like that very much. That was something I liked. Thank if there was an exclamation
1: point emoji, I would use it. I want to emphasize this.
0: <laughs> well, great. I'm glad we've started off the episode with emasculating me, comparing me to your child, your, your boy. But uh, yes, I am learning. Uh, and uh, much like Thomas, there will come a time where I will no longer call it construction, JT. But yeah. he call- um, Isn't
1: that sweet? He calls the instructions construct. He said, Dad, really can sweet. we read the constructions? So I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, buddy, mm-hmm. we can. You me so much of Kyle. It is. Sweet, Kyle. Did you
2: um, have a good summer? Okay.
0: Well,
2: good thank question. you for asking, Jay. Yeah. Jen. Good question,
0: yeah. Jen. Um. Uh. Yeah, I did have a great summer. I was on sabbatical this summer, mm-hmm. which I'm tremendously grateful for. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was really it was a tremendous blessing. Ten years of ministry uh, for sabbatical, so I was very grateful for it, and uh, was ready. And it was a, it was a blessing. It was really good. So good. I had a great summer, and I'm excited to be doing Romans. Uh, I've been preaching Romans, as both of you know, and. Uh, uh, JT is about to start preaching Romans. Just drafted on you, my friend. Just drafted. And Jen is going to be teaching Romans. <laughs> we This has never happened. No. In Knowing Faith History, smarter, we not have harder. never all... <laughs> yeah, exactly. All parts we're all going to be lane. so
1: prepared; it might get a little more spicy because we're going to have like well-formed opinions on some of this. It's stuff. true. Yeah.
0: It's yeah. true. Um, but it's going to be it's going to be fine. Um Listen, Romans. I don't know that we need to tell you why. Maybe asking the question why we chose Romans is you feel like well that's silly because isn't Romans like a crown jewel of Pauline theology and of the epistles. It certainly has had a huge influence uh, historically in the life of the church. Uh, And so why did we choose Romans? Well, because it's a book that you should know and be thoroughly Mm -hmm. acquainted Mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's incredibly significant uh, for our understanding of almost every issue in theological conversation. Would you, would you say that's fair, JT? Is there some issue of doctrine that Romans
1: is not a major player in? No, absolutely not. Romans actually, I mean, for the last 2,000 years of church history has been one of the keystone pillars, whatever you want, whatever language you want to use, to help us think systematically. But I don't want our, our our listeners to think that Romans is a systematic theology. It's not. It's a letter. Uh, it's a letter that helps us think systematically, that helps us think theologically, but it also helps us to read. This is going to get, a hopefully, a... a uh, ha ha, or an exclamation point from Jen, uh, depending on <laughs> oh, we're texting you're not.
0: Let's not do <laughs> that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, 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 but, but seriously, it's, it helps us read the Old Testament better. Like Paul, again, is mm-hmm. someone who's deeply versed in the Old Testament, the story of Israel and God's uh, righteous salvation for them through the promised Messiah. And so he's, he's giving them a Christological interpretation of God's redemptive acts in history. So you should think of it as a letter. We should think of it as systematic theology in a sense, not in like a pure form, but he's, doing some, he's giving us some systematic categories and he's helping us become better readers of the Bible.
2: I heard Mike Kruger say um, that uh, he was making the point about Romans that um, the story of Jesus is not new in the New Testament, that the New Testament brings to completion the story of Christ that was begun in the Old Testament. And then we see that so much in Romans. Thought that was a really great read on it.
0: Yep, that is good. You have a hot take on who wrote Romans, Jen?
2: I do. Phoebe. I'm just kidding. Paul, it's Paul.
1: I was actually just going to say Phoebe. (laughs) (laughs) it's good Definitely I'm glad you course
2: corrected quickly because that sound bite would yeah. not have served you well no no um, no
0: yeah. it's just a joke guys Tom Schreiner said no I got it uh Tom Schreiner says this in his commentary which is we're having Dr. Schreiner on um uh this season as well but he says this which is kind of a mic drop moment no serious scholar today doubts that Paul wrote Romans good so there are, the reason why that's significant just as a note is there are other new testament writings and other biblical writings where there is ongoing conversation about who the author was yep. i mean the what the greatest example of this is what in the new testament hebrews hebrews right i mean hebrews yeah just being like yeah we There's a, there's speculation. Maybe there's good arguments to be made for one, two, three other people, whatever. But the fact of the matter is, is like, there's a, there's a little bit of a question mark. Whereas with Romans, the answer seems pretty definitively clear. It's the apostle Paul. That helps us as we interpret it, because what can we use to help interpret Romans if we know that Paul is the author? acts acts Paul's other letters right like yeah his story there's a lot of things there that can shape the way that we read Romans if we're confident he's the author and it seems like from a scholarly perspective it's a pretty decided question the the other thing is when when was the author written and uh, uh, there is this is another thing that can be really difficult dating ancient letters uh, is Hard to do. Um, but uh, it seems like most scholars are locating the dating of Romans somewhere between AD 55 and AD 58. So, roughly, you know, 25 years after the death of Christ. So, just for perspective, if you're thinking about what's happening, you have this is prior to the desolation and sacking of Jerusalem, right? Um, that has not yet happened. Uh, but Christ has died. So you're in this space. Anything else you guys want to say about dating?
2: And the way that we can tell that... It's prior to the sacking of the temple is because something that significant would have been mentioned by Paul in all likelihood if it had already happened. So that's just kind of like a general tool for students of the Bible to have in their tool belt, is if it's not it's like you it's often equated to like their 9-11. That's their big historic moment that they remember. So if it's not mentioned, then there's a decent, a very strong likelihood that what you're reading was written prior to that having happened.
1: It's good. Yeah, and uh, th- go ahead, JT. I was gonna say I think related to that dating something that might be helpful, and and he, he mentions this in the letter, but just his theological and social situatedness I think helps us understand why he's writing this letter. Not to get too much into the purpose, but it's not just that you know twenty five or thirty years have passed since since the uh or 20 25 years have passed since Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. But Paul himself has also now been a church planter, pastor, traveling missionary for the last 20 25 years, and so he's writing. This letter with a great deal of pastoral experience and specifically sensitivity is, as I think we'll have to get into as we go through the letter, the Jew-Gentile relationship. So specifically, right. he's been planting Gentile churches in the eastern Mediterranean, and he's now making his way west towards Jerusalem and then perhaps Rome and then maybe Spain. And he's thinking, how, how, how am I going to approach uh, a, a largely Jewish, also Gentile congregation in Rome by bringing Gentile money for for the, for those in Jerusalem, and then making my way to Rome, and then onto more Gentile churches in Spain. So he he is uh, he is having to think through uh, like like onion layers of complexity of being a missionary and pastor here in this early church. It's good. That's
0: good. Uh, and, you know, I think the value when we think about the why, why would you take time to study Romans? Well, uh, I was looking at Martin Luther's preface to his commentary on Romans, and I felt like, I mean, his opening line is basically the why. I, I will say this just before anytime you quote Luther, you have to give the caveat of this is a man prone to hyperbole. Mm-hmm. So just know uh, he, he definitely. He definitely says things strongly. So let me just read this because I thought this was really interesting. This letter is truly the most important piece in the New Testament. It is purest gospel. It is well worth a Christian's while not only to memorize it word for word, but also to occupy himself with it daily as though it were the daily bread of the soul. It is impossible to read or to meditate on this letter too much or too well. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. That's a pretty compelling like, hey, it is worth your while to spend a lot of time in Paul's letter to the church in Rome.
2: Yeah, right? and I don't I don't good? know anybody who's that into hyperbole. Yeah, I, I don't know anyone who's like that, so it's <laughs> hard for me to relate. Um, I do have a question though for you guys. Do you think that it is, like people talk about Romans, people who love Romans talk about Romans like it's the most important book in the New Testament. Can we say that there are books in the canon that are more important than other books? This is a genuine question.
0: That's a, I, I, I think it's a good question. I think my, my I was thinking about this before we jumped on, the, the, two things first. Well, the, the, the first one would be, you can say that some books have had a greater influence right. in terms of the, the historical conversation. So by virtue of being factored into major controversies, councils, discussions, moments in church history, I think you can say, wow, Romans probably outweighs Zephaniah, in terms <laughs> of its impact on biblical interpretation historically, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying Zephaniah is less inspired or Romans is more inspired. I'm just saying if you were using most important in one way, you, or more important, you could use it that way. The second is that in terms of its scope, Romans certainly covers a lot of ground. So it's not it's not narrow in its interest. And because of that, I think you can say, wow, there's a lot of places where Romans is addressing something. And because of its scope, it feels a little bit heavier in how it affects our interpretation of other passages of scripture.
2: Do you think that epistles have an unfair advantage in the popularity contest because they're an easier genre for people to understand than other genres found in the Bible?
0: I think because they lean into propositional truth claims. Mm -hmm. More readily than a narrative or wisdom literature mm-hmm. or poetry does, that yes, for most people, it is easier to engage with the content of epistles from a what does this say perspective uh, and how does it shape how I believe than it would be with narrative, poetry, or wisdom literature, maybe.
2: Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, am I crazy? I'm out of thoughts. I just wanted to have that conversation. I've been that's been rattling around in my head. I'm not, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm not saying
0: that like, oh, that's it. They should be given, the epistles should color our interpretation of other genres of scripture the way that they do. But I think it's clear that that they do.
2: Yeah, I do too. And that's what I'm trying to figure out is whether it's a positive thing, a negative thing, or just a neutral thing. Um, Because I do think that so often, the things that we emphasize in whether it's uh, the way that sermons are preached or even the way that uh, morality is discussed, they they seem to be, in, in, at least from my perspective, often more heavily informed by the words of Paul than they are, than perhaps by what all of scripture has to bring to bear on something. And I'm just curious why that might be. And I've wondered, is it because the Pauline epistles are not just accessible in genre, but also in length? Does that mean that we spend more time there than we do elsewhere? Um, so I don't know. It's just something I've been chewing on as someone who's always trying to drag people to longer books of the Bible. And it's why that's one reason I'm excited for us to do Romans is because it's I mean, it's you know, it's it's enough chapters that it can be off putting to the average Bible reader. So it's not extremely long, but it's also not um, incredibly short. Um and it's so dense that I'm glad that we're going to spend the time in it that we're going to. Um, it is probably, in my opinion, it's the most challenging of the Pauline epistles. Certainly. Would you guys Mm. say that?
1: Yes. Yeah, for sure. Just, just to think about your question for a second, I've got like a maybe more of an academic answer and then a hopefully more of a pastoral thought probably not answer, but just thought, uh, the the pastoral one being, I I think it's okay for Christians to say, I resonate with this book, uh, Mm -hmm. this book, uh, God has used to speak into my life. And mm-hmm. I think that's fine. And that changed for me, that's changed over time. Yeah. First book I ever read of the Bible for, for whatever reason, Jen, you're going to laugh at this was Hebrews. I didn't know what I was doing. I opened my <laughs> Bible and Hebrews sounded like a fun book. And I was like, I have no idea what's happening <laughs> right now. Who is Melchizedek? <laughs> I now know who Melchizedek is, uh, Okay, uh, but, but no, but seriously. And then, but, but maybe the more of an academic answer, I was actually listening to a lecture just this morning on, and, Listeners don't need to know this, but it's important. It's called Hegelian dialectics. Kyle does know what that is probably, uh, and specifically how that translated to a guy named F.C. Bauer, who is a, a New Testament scholar. Uh, in in kind of what we would call a a, kind of a German Biblicism in in New Testament studies, that actually does intentionally emphasize God's progressive revelation the further away you get from first, like, for example, Exodus, that says we now actually, because of progressive revelation, can know more and can know better, and as if truth has somehow been synthesized in a clearer fashion than we had in Exodus or Genesis. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, a, a wrong step for biblical studies in a lot of ways in terms of a philosophical commitment to Paul knew better than Moses did. Uh, but I do think that then is kind of in some of the DNA of some churches and Christians that, well, man, if I just read Paul, then I basically get everything else rather than that same truth being found in yeah. the prophets. Yeah. yeah, that is good. I, yeah,
0: yeah, there's a, there's a lot I can say about that. Um, but uh, I think that is a good question. And I hope over the course of these next two seasons, uh, it will become clear that Paul himself is invoking the Old Testament. (laughs) He's invoking (laughs) the the full counsel of Mm -hmm. scripture in order to like to to move the ball forward in our understanding so if nothing else paul himself is saying hey it is valuable to study the full counsel of god's word seriously because that is what paul had done right he's demonstrating <laughs> don't have it. Mm-hmm. you don't have romans if paul didn't know isaiah if paul didn't know habakkuk
1: mm-hmm.
0: you don't have some of the engine that you find in Romans. So if nothing else, that should be assigned to you. Well, if you know, if the apostle Paul thought it was worth mining the depths of the minor prophets, it might be worth the consideration for me as well. Mm-hmm. You know? um, who is the audience of this letter? Well, it, it's clear that the audience is not just monolithic. This church is at the very least a church that is comprised of Jews and Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Now, and keep in mind in the Bible, that Gentile category can be big, especially in a place like Rome. Okay. So when you think about Jews and Gentiles, it sounds like we're just talking about, okay, there's like the Jews, and then there are just like, you know, this group of, this defined group of people that are non Jews. That's true. Those are the Gentiles, but that is a banner over that group, could have comprised a lot of diversity among that group right there. There are men and women at the church in Rome. There are inevitably boys and girls. There are uh, Jews and Gentiles, which means in a global place like Rome, there are all sorts of people at the church in Rome. And when we think about who is there, this is important because there's a lot of conversation in the letter where Paul is dealing with some pastoral concerns around unity in the church in Rome and confusion around really what does it mean to be a church with a group of diverse people? And uh, I think it's clear that Paul has never been there. I think that much is very obvious. He wants to go. He hasn't been there. He has sent this letter through somebody else, Phoebe, who we'll talk more about I'm sure in episodes ahead. But one of the things that's really uh, important to, to, to understand from the get go is that we don't know how the church in Rome was established, but many scholars, uh, uh believe that the church was probably established by Jewish Christians um and that after there uh, at a point the Jewish Christians were exiled from Rome and during that period of time the Gentile Christians among them were really handed over the responsibility of leading the church in their absence and that now Paul's letter is going to a church where the Jews have come back in from their exile, being kicked out of Rome. And they're now kind of trying to reestablish of, okay, now we are, we are a church of Jews and Gentiles. The Jews started the church and now the Gentiles have kind of been forced to lead it in the Jews' absence. And now they're back. And now how do we do this together? Right?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. In some of the literature I read that, that you're highlighting, Kyle, but I think it just bears continuing to mention, it probably was so like started by Jews coming out of synagogues who meet Jesus, the Holy Spirit descends upon them and they become Christians. Yeah, But it these, we it's important for us to remember, it probably wasn't the leader of the synagogue. It, right. it, it was just men and women who were craftsmen, tradesmen and women. They were working, they were moms and dads who started a church. So, some of the other churches in the New Testament were started by like explicit apostolic, you know, sending of Timothy, go start this church in Ephesus or, or whatever it might be. And, and here... Especially in Rome, we don't have that. Some people think that Peter started the church in Rome, and from from our best understanding, that's not what happened. It was just men and women who met Jesus, who began meeting together, that is now, they're trying to figure out, as you just said, these Jew-Gentile relations as it relates to who's leading the church, who's in the church, and how do we move the gospel forward?
2: I was going to say, it's not just, um, I mean, the, the diversity is also social and it's also economic. You've got slaves, um, you've got ruling class people. It, it, it's it's diversity on a level that most churches today can't even imagine, um, just, you know, based on how demographics tend to shake out in the average community now. And it's not a ton of people. So they can't avoid the people who they might have significant differences with because these churches are not megachurches.
0: They're they are
2: relatively small.
0: Yeah. And we know from Acts chapter 2 that at Pentecost, there were visitors from Rome. It says right. that in Acts 2.10, we hear about oh gosh, now I'm going to have to pronounce names. You guys.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> uh, Phrygia and Take Pamphylia. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome.
2: See, now I, I feel I like that. you're rehearsing. I feel like you've been rehearsing now.
0: I I look in the mirror and pronounce, I have a list of names I've written on the mirror and I read them. Um, No, so we know that there were visitors from Rome at Pentecost. So it's not like, I mean, it's not a crazy jump to be like, okay, there were people who heard the gospel, who were there when the spirit fell at Pentecost, who might've responded in faith, the many who did at Peter's sermon and go back to Rome. So a church could have been established in Rome by visitors at Pentecost by the late AD 30s. That's not crazy to suggest. And some scholars think that's exactly what's happened. Uh, so uh, we, we already kind of mentioned this, but Romans has had a vast influence on historical theology. I mean, certainly the full council of God's word has, but when you think about some really big pivot moments in the history of the church, a lot of times, and I think particularly around the Reformation, but even in the conversations between Augustine and Pelagius and that mm-hmm. controversy, Romans factored in heavily right Mm
1: -hmm. and that you could argue that three of the major like moving points of church history Romans is at the center of the conversation and you've already mentioned two of them the Augustinian Pelagian controversy specifically around human nature what does it mean for us to be sinners and what is the nature of grace I mean that that is at the core of the Augustin Pelagian controversy and then of course as you already mentioned uh Martin Luther, uh, not understanding what it means for God to be righteous and for him to understand the righteousness of God being imputed to him is what the righteousness of God is, is is his big moment from moving from being a, a Catholic monk to being one of the Protestant reformers. But then additionally, you have Karl Barth in the 20th century in his commentary on Romans being a bombshell in kind of this German historical critical method of what it meant to be Bible readers. So I have I've many disagreements with Karl Barth, what he was doing in that moment in time as it relates to kind of German higher criticism and his interpretation of Romans was, was a, a major shift in biblical studies as well. And in dogmatics. Absolutely.
0: yeah, It's, it, it's huge. And Romans is like, I don't think just Amazon Romans. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. like if you're looking for a book that has been well trafficked from a commentary perspective, a literature around it, like I'm sure dissertation supervisors, when, when they hear from a student that they want to write on Romans are like, those waters are full. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> are you really sure that you want to write on Romans? Because you could feel libraries with mm-hmm. the books that have been written on Romans. It's a, it's a lot. Um, I, I kind of find myself asking this question. And Jen, you were, you were talking about this earlier, but it goes between two different books of the Apostle Paul, two different letters for me. But would you say that Romans is the most like popular letter of the Apostle Paul? Is it like his number one hit? Is it top three? Because in my mind, I have another book that is always competing for that spot when
2: I talk to people.
0: Like I'm like, Mm -hmm. they tell me their favorite book of Paul. It's one of these two. Romans is an option, but then there's another one.
2: No, I think it's either Ephesians or Philippians.
0: Yeah. Ephesians is the one that I feel like
2: that's oftentimes the easiest,
0: like that's the one that they find most emotionally satisfying. Is that bad to say?
2: Uh, no, I would say that. I mean, a lot of people like Colossians too. I would say those three, you know, well, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, most people have spent multiple trips through those books and Romans. Like I personally, I've only studied Romans from start to finish one time, um, in all of my adult experience of Bible study. And I did it over two years. And so I'm really interested to go through it again. I mean, that was some years ago. That was probably, Oh gosh. 16 or 17 years ago. So I'm curious to go back through it. And I I actually, when I went through the study um, back in the day, I was coming to an understanding of where I landed on um, reformed theology. Like it was actually not something that I had studied or thought about a whole lot. And the study was not taught by someone who was coming from a reformed position. But in my time in Romans, I became increasingly drawn toward some of the ideas that Reformed theology articulates. And then when I started to learn about Reformed theology, it attached itself pretty neatly to the things I was already seeing come out of the text. But I know other people have a different experience of it. So it'll be interesting, I think, to have another journey through it after having uh, not studied it formally in all of that time.
0: Yeah, that's good.
2: Have you guys studied it before? Like, have you been through it multiple times?
0: It was pivotal for me. I was a junior in high school, the first time I seriously studied Romans. Mm-hmm. And it was a like, it was a firecracker. It was just a very significant moment for me. Uh, and then I then did a pretty serious study um, my freshman and sophomore year of Romans, where mm-hmm. I would say I was in it for another good Two years of just trying to like dig into Romans, and at the time I was listening to John Piper's many sermons in the Book of mm-hmm. Romans, and there were a lot. Uh, and so, Is that many uh, or yeah, many, so not min- not not many, small many, 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 however, my Southeast Texas accent is saying it, but there were a lot of sermons. A lot. Uh, A lot. Uh, So Romans definitely, definitely, uh, I feel like Romans is like the Reformed cookbook. Yeah. Like you want to like, you want to like be like, hey, you should explore Reformed theology biblically. People will push you to Romans, you know? Yeah. So JT, what about you,
1: man? Yeah. And when I was this... When I was a student at Dallas Seminary, uh, Romans, or sorry, Greek five, so you had to take five years or five semesters of Greek and Greek five was kind of a slow walk through Romans. But if I'm honest, I don't remember a lot of it. And that's not because it wasn't a great class. It was because I was in four or five other classes and, you know, you're trying to learn how to do Greek and how to do exegesis. And I mean, it was, it was meaningful and helpful. I bet I absorbed more than I remember, but I'm looking forward to restudying it with you guys. That's for sure.
2: You know what, I wonder because I this is another thing I remember explicitly about the last the first time that I studied Romans was I grew up with the Roman road as a way of sharing the gospel mm-hmm. with people. And I had never Absolutely. studied Romans and was using the Roman road as an evangelistic tool. And I remember encountering those verses in particular in their context and feeling like, what have I been doing? You know, like I didn't even realize what this verse was couched in or the bigger message that it had. To connect to. So I, I wonder if a lot of our listeners won't find themselves in the same boat of having had sort of a spot knowledge, sort of uh, passages or, or particular verses that they can say right immediately off the top of their heads, but might not have seen how they fit in the rest of the flow of the letter.
0: I think that's really good. Or how Romans fits in the flow of scripture. Yeah. I feel like sometimes a lot of times Romans is one of those books that gets treated as like, if it stands on its own and it right? doesn't. Um So what kind of issues will we hit on looking at the letter to the church in Rome? JT, what what kind of issues are going to come up? What doctrines, what ideas, what big picture ideas?
1: The holiness and righteousness of God is going to be one of the first things that we hit, and specifically is that relates to the sinfulness of humanity. Really, Romans 1 through 4 is about God's righteousness and our sinfulness and how uh, we can be saved by grace through faith in Christ. So Romans 1 through 4 is kind of this tour de force on the gospel, specifically using Abraham as—and we've studied him, right? We just did this, and this this going to be funded, this letter for Genesis— is specifically as it relates to the life of Abraham. How Mm -hmm. was he credited and accounted righteousness and right right standing? How was he declared to be right before God? Uh, Romans 5 is gonna talk about this idea of federal headship. Uh, Who are you in? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Romans 6, 7, 8 begins kind of the hope of the Christian life, sanctification, though that's teased in throughout Romans 1, 2, and 3 as well. But how do we, how do we now begin walking in this new life that we've been given in Christ? Romans 9 through 11, we're just going to skip as fast as we can and not talk <laughs> about it. Uh, <laughs> No, but Romans 9 through 11 is important for the social context is, is what does it mean to be a person of faith and a part of the people of God or Jews and Gentiles? And what does it mean for ethnic historical Israel? That's 9 through 11. And then, uh, the end of the book, really Romans 12 and following is, is, uh, again, kind of sanctification Christian life. Like what does it mean to walk, believe, and live as a follower of Jesus in first century Rome as somebody who's learning to follow Jesus of Nazareth?
2: Yeah,
0: that's good.
1: Wow. I didn't expect all
0: that, but you just gave us the overview. Uh, so, listener, there you go. That's all you needed on Rome, right? Well, bullet points right there.
2: Was that off the top of your head?
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> One of a kind you are, JT. One of a kind. Uh,
1: Jen, only, anything you want to add to that? It's 16 chapters, guys. It's not that long.
0: <laughs> anything you're excited
2: about talking about in, in, in Romans? Uh, yeah. I mean, I love Romans 1. So, you know, I may get really quiet after we get out of Romans 1. No, I probably won't, but uh, just the whole idea that, uh, of natural revelation is fascinating mm-hmm. to me, and particularly in the day and age in which we live. I think it's just a really interesting idea to explore.
0: Yep. Yeah. I'm excited about that too. Um, yeah, there is a lot. We're, listen, it, I'll, I'll tell you this because of Roman scope, basically, if you are interested, And knowing what the Bible says about just about anything, then following along for the next two seasons is going to be really advantageous because the letter to the church in Rome is covering a lot of ground. And we're so glad that you're going to be listening and following along with us this season. Uh, We really are excited uh, about a bunch of things. Let me give you some just details. First episode, this was like a teaser episode, okay? So first episode of season seven, it airs on September second. So that is coming right around the corner. We want to thank our sponsor for season seven, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, If the next step in your service to Christ and his church is additional theological training, please register today to attend Southern Seminary's Preview Day on October 15th. For just $25, Southern will cover two nights of lodging as well as all of your meals on Preview Day. You can reserve your spot now by going to sbts.edu slash preview. I would really encourage you to check that out. If nothing else, it'll be a great trip and you'll get to do some cool things and meet some cool folks. And that would be worth it just on its own. But if you stay for the education, then you're doubly blessed. Uh, Don't miss our new podcast, uh, the Family Discipleship Podcast. I'm very excited about this. Guys, are you excited about the Family Discipleship Podcast? It's going to be awesome. I am excited. The first episode for the Family Discipleship Podcast, it drops on September 6th. And so Really excited about that. It's hosted by Adam Griffin with co-hosting from Cassie Bryant and Chelsea Griffin. Uh, I just really encourage you to check it out. They're going to be doing topics this season like why family discipleship, what life in the Chandler home is like with Matt Chandler, uh, what life in the Wilkin home is like with Jen Wilkin. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Uh, 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 Talking with your kids about race and diversity with Trillia Newbell, uh, talking with your kids about the Trinity with JT English and what's this, Kyle Worley? Let's do it. Oh, too much power for one episode, I feel. Um, (laughs) uh, And uh, Life as a Mother Theologian with Caroline Smiley. Uh, So one of our dear friends. It's going to be a great season really excited about you can check it out you can find family discipleship podcast and knowing faith on instagram facebook and twitter if you want some cool stuff or kind of get to see behind the scenes you can go over to patreon.com slash knowing faith patreon i know we were a little bit quiet over the summer that had a lot to do with me being out on sabbatical as we jump back into the fall uh, a lot of activity will resume over there so check us out on patreon at patreon.com slash knowing faith thanks for listening to the episode hope you enjoy the discussion grace and peace